0: What well, is such a blessing to be here. Uh, my wife and I are ready to, to walk out already after the songs we've sang. You sang like all of our favorites this morning, and we were both sitting here in the second row uh, just tearing up. As you proclaimed, and together we proclaimed the renown of Christ, who he is and how amazing he is. So, thanks for letting us come and worship with you this morning. Thanks for sharing Pastor Jordan with us and Bethany. Both of them have been wonderful professors, teaching lessons, teaching classes, Pastor John as well, and the impact that they've had on our students. So, thank you for sharing them with us. Uh, I am excited to be here this morning. I'm privileged to be here this morning, but I'll be honest, this is not the best time I've ever had in community gospel. Because 16 and a half years ago, I stood on this stage right at this spot and I watched my bride walk down the aisle and uh, was, was quite emotional this morning just thinking about that the last time I remember being in this room and that important day, and so uh, great to be back here at Community Gospel. My wife Stephanie is here, and our three boys, Rehan, Bennett, and Jaden came as well this morning, so thankful for them. They're excited because after this, they get to go to Grandpa and Grandma's house and swim in their pool, so uh, we are making a day of it up here in Bremen, and as was mentioned, uh, just honored to be Um, On the stage, in fact, I told my wife this morning, I've never been more nervous to preach a message. And I've had the opportunity to preach many places and speak to many people. But when you're on the stage of uh, a a man, Bob Heaney, who is so known in our family, Grandpa Heaney, who's had an impact on our lives, it's just an honor and a privilege to be in that same spot. And I feel uh, compelled to preach well in honor of him. And so excited this morning to open God's word with you. Uh, Your mission statement here at Community Gospel is that you exist to make Christ known near and far so that all people can find their true purpose when they embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful statement. It's a statement that engenders action. And it's much like I just said, our statement at Grace. We were just able to make it a little bit shorter than you were. To know Christ and to make him known. But if you really think about what that means for us to make Christ known, to follow Jesus, it requires a lot of faith, a bold faith. It requires boldness beyond our own capabilities. And this morning we're going to be in a passage where we see what it looks like to follow Jesus with that kind of bold faith. And I'm excited to continue your summer series, A Taste of the New Testament. Last week you were in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus calmed the Sea of Galilee while in the boat with his disciples. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about another storm on the Sea of Galilee from Matthew 14. Pastor French, I don't think we planned this out, but it couldn't have been planned any better to be talking about these two storms in the New Testament. One where we see Jesus with his disciples and one where we see where Jesus left his disciples in the storm by themselves. But through both, we can learn how our faith can be strengthened through Jesus Christ. The title of my message this morning is Get Out of the Boat. Can you say that with me? Okay, most places I have to have them repeat that, but you are really good. As a, as a teacher, professor, I'm always looking for call and response. Get out of the boat from Matthew 14. Uh, if you've ever been to Winona Lake, Indiana, and in Grace College, you know that we are on a lake, Winona Lake. And uh, fortunately, as a college, we have been gifted two boats. Um, the first boat is a bass boat. We have a bass fishing club. I actually didn't even know that for like three years. And they were like, actually, we have a bass fishing club. Uh, We have a bass fishing club and have a bass fishing boat. They don't let me ride that one. Um, But we have another boat, and this is the grace boat, as we affectionately call it. And we take students out tubing and riding around. Our family went out on it just this last week for the first time this year. It's a beautiful boat. Very fast, a lot of fun. That's not the kind of boat we're talking about this morning. We're talking more like this other boat. And I know Pastor John put up some pictures last week. Not, not quite as powerful or as stable back in those days, the fishing boats that they had. But we're going to be talking this morning from Matthew 14 about a different lake, a different time. and What does it mean to get out of the boat? If you have your Bibles, you can turn or tap to Matthew 14. I'll also have the verses for you up on the screen The book of Matthew, of course, is one of the four gospels, one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. And so if we want to know who Jesus is, what he taught, and how he lived, the gospels are the best place to start. And I'm going to set the scene here a little bit in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 starts with the beheading of John the Baptist at a banquet of Herod. Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the man who came before Jesus' cousin to call out and tell others, follow this man that is to come named Jesus. This is Jesus' BFF. I mean, they are ride or die. They have been best buds literally since they were in their mom's womb. And Jesus hears the news and the disciples hear the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. So Jesus hears this terrible news and what does he want to do? something we all want to do when we get bad news. He wants to get away, to grieve and to pray. And so him and the disciples try to get away to a private spot, but the people find him. The people find him and follow him. And Jesus responds with compassion to the crowds that follow. And he heals and he starts to help the people who are around him. And it got late at night. And the people had no food, so he sent the disciples out to go steal a kid's lunchbox. And they got some bread and some fish, and Jesus broke it all up, and he fed 5,000. And with the leftovers, there was more than enough for the disciples themselves. Full day. A full day of grieving and of ministry for Jesus and the disciples. Have you ever had a day like that? A week like that? A month like that? A year like that? Something that grieves or overwhelms you with sadness. Maybe it is the death of a family member. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's just that life hasn't turned out as you expected. Maybe it's strained relationships. For whatever reason, it's been a hard season. A day, a week, a month, a year, a decade. But just like Jesus and the disciples, life keeps going, doesn't it? Life doesn't stop, and despite what you might be grieving, life's responsibilities continue. There's still kids to feed, and there's still jobs to go to, and there's still ministry activities to engage. And you just put one step in front of the other and keep going and keep going. And that's what Jesus and the disciples are going through. And then that brings us to our main text this morning. What happens after this already full day? Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 24 say this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. The first thing Jesus does after this very full day is to send the disciples away. He made them get into a boat and go out into this lake. And while on the lake, things got scary stormy. And here's our first lesson this morning. Sometimes we are sent to the storm. Sometimes we are sent to the storm. There are storms that we bring upon ourselves. I was just in Jonah this last week. Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. He went the other direction. A storm was sent and he was thrown into the ocean and a big fish took him where he was supposed to go. That storm for Jonah was sent for correction, but the storm in our story was sent for sanctification. Some storms are sent for correction, but this story was sent for sanctification. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and he knew that a storm would hit them. The disciples were headed for a storm precisely because Jesus sent them there and they obeyed. Why would Jesus do this to his disciples after the day they just had? Can you imagine how they felt? They just learned about the death of John the Baptist, who was doing the very thing that they are supposed to be doing, telling others about Jesus. And then they spend the rest of the day serving. And and then they're sent out into a lake, into the storm, like, really, Jesus? Jesus? Really, this is what you're going to give us next? And at least last time you were with us. This time you sent us by ourselves. Do you ever feel like that? A full day followed by a storm? Tim Keller, who recently passed away of cancer after a a lifetime of faithful ministry, said this about the hard things of life. There are good things of this world and there are hard things of this world and the best things of this world. God's love, glory, holiness, beauty. The Bible's teaching is that the road to the best things is not through the good things, but usually through the hard things. See, sometimes we as Christians think that once we start following Jesus, it's smooth sailing from there. But Jesus knows what he's doing. Yes, it's been a long day for the disciples, but he knows that the road ahead of them is not going to be easy. And he's preparing them to hold fast to the faith that will allow them to endure any hardship, even when he is gone. So for us who claim the name of Jesus, Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows what we're facing. And he knows that we, through all things, can be strengthened by him. Because whatever storms are coming, Jesus is preparing us here for then. All to make his name and glory known. Say with me, we're sent to the storm. storm. This passage also says that we are seen in our storm. After Jesus sent them in the storm, he climbed up a mountain to pray. And in Mark's gospel account of this story, we're told that Jesus could see the disciples. He could see the disciples from his mountaintop view, but they could not see him from the boat. As they struggled against the wind, Jesus was watching them the whole time. And guess where Jesus is right now? Right now at this moment, he is in heaven at the right hand of God, watching down on us, interceding for us, always there for us. And we can't always feel or see him, but he can always see us. He's always watching over us. In Deuteronomy and repeated in Hebrews, we are told that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And for those of us who trust in Christ, He always sees. And He doesn't just see, He always cares. He has compassion for us in our storms. Like the disciples, we may see the storm but not feel the presence of Jesus. But He's always there, He's been there before. He'll be there again, he'll be there again, and he'll be there again. Someone this morning needs to be reminded that you are seen. You are important. You are valued by Jesus. Maybe not always by those who are around you, but always by Jesus. Whether you feel it or not, if you trust in him, he will watch over you. No matter what you've done, no matter how distant you feel, Jesus sees you. And in the middle of your chaos, he's watching, he's caring. Say, I am seen in the storm. We're going to continue on in our passage looking at verses 25 through 27 of Matthew 14. It says this Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Here's my next observation. Jesus struts on our storm. Jesus struts on our storm. When I get a mental picture of Jesus walking on the storm, oh, what do you see? What kind of mental picture do you have? Do you do you see him as kind of like a gymnast like walking on a balance beam doing kind of one of these on the storm, unsure of each unsteady step? But I love the Bible. It's just so like nonchalant about this. It's just like, yeah, Jesus got up and then he started walking on the storm. Like this is just normal thing you do. You don't, you don't walk around the lake, you walk on the lake, of course, right? The way I picture Jesus walking on the lake is not like a timid gymnast. Instead, I picture him walking on the lake like a rock star on a stage, like a boxer going to the rink. Like, I dominate this storm. I walk on this storm i love how warren Wearsby put this he said jesus walked on the water to show his disciples that the very thing they feared was only a staircase for him to come to them we fear difficult things in life but those are often the things that bring jesus close Let me say that again. We fear difficult things in life. We try to avoid difficult things in life. But in fact, those are almost always the things that brings Jesus near. Can I promise that your wayward son or daughter will return to Christ? No. Can I promise that the cancer will go away? No. Can I promise that that strained relationship will get fixed? No. Can I promise that that temptation will subside? No. But can I promise that Jesus will be close? Absolutely. Because here's the thing there's no storm in your life that Jesus cannot and has not walked on. And how do I know that? Because this isn't the only walk Jesus has ever taken. Soon after this, he would take another walk, he'd take a walk carrying the cross up that hill to Golgotha. And on that walk, he was nailed to the cross. And in doing so, he overcame sin. And then he was put in the grave. And what did he do after three days? He walked out of that grave, showing that he conquered death. He's gone on walks that have conquered sin and walks that have conquered death. And he has walked on every storm. So nothing you have ever faced or will ever face is too much for Jesus. He promises to be close to you because whatever your storm is, he's already conquered it. Say, he struts, he struts on my storm. How many of you, that's like the first time you've ever said strut in your life? That's, it's, it's a weird word. I get it. Next point. Jesus says, don't be scared. The disciples think, They see someone or something walking on the water. And what's their first thought? It's a ghost! I think this is hilarious. Here are the disciples in a storm again. And their first assumption is that this is a ghost. That's what a five-year-old does in the middle of the night. Is think the shadow is a ghost, right? You'd think that the disciples, after just seeing Jesus feed 5,000 people... Then before that, he, they saw him raise someone from the dead and heal the sick and the blind and the lame. You'd think maybe their assumption might be that's Jesus. But no, their assumption is, oh, it's a ghost. But before we're too hard on the disciples, have you ever had a crazy fear? Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night crazy fearful? I have. I have crazy fears all the time. I wake up in the middle of the night, fears about my own lack of abilities, fears about my failure, fears about my kids, fears about my finances, fears about the future, fears even about that creak I hear in my house that's probably a robber. I spend way too much time stewing on my fears and letting my fears scare me. But here's what I love about Jesus in this passage: There's no extended lecture like we give our kids. No, it's not really a ghost. Look, I see you're crazy. This is a, There's no extended lecture from Jesus about their ridiculous fears. No sit down about how absurd they sound. He just says, "Hey, hey, hey, it's me. It's me. Don't be scared." And this is Jesus in the middle of our midnight fears, whatever they may be. Hey, it's me. It's okay. I'm here. No worries. See, Jesus sent them into the storm not to make them afraid, but to make them aware. He sent them into the storm not to make them afraid, but to make them aware of himself. The refrain Jesus says here, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, is him repeating an often used refrain from the Old Testament. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We must get this. I must get this. Some storms are meant not to make us afraid, but to make us aware that he is with us wherever we go. Jesus knows that the disciples are going to face many more storms. Most of these disciples are going to end up dying for their faith. So he wants them to get some practice about what it looks like to go through a storm, knowing that he will always be there for them. Say, he says, don't be scared. Now we get to the uh, last part of our story, and this is so good. So look at verses 28 through 33 with me. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So now the focus of the story shifts away from the disciples as a group to Peter individually. And uh, if you know about Peter, he's kind of like the eager beaver of the disciples, always the one wanting to go first and try. He's like the, the kid who sits in the front row of class, and every time a question is asked, he's like, me, 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 pick me. That's Peter. Peter's that kid. He's always the one willing to jump off the cliff first, always willing to go first. So Peter's actions here are both mildly annoying, but also very admirable. He's always wanting to be the one to try something new. And some of you can relate to Peter. So it's no surprise that Peter's first response is, Hey, Lord, if it's you, I want to walk on water too. But what Peter shows us is how to step out in faith and start. To step out in faith and start. I mean, do you want a water walking life? That's the kind of life I want. I want an epic water walking life that can only be made possible through Jesus. And here's the thing you can't have an easy life and a water walking life, that's not possible. It's one or the other. I don't know if you've ever tried to walk on water. My kids will try it this afternoon. Uh, They will fail, right? Um, They will fail. They'll take a couple steps and they will splash into the water. It's never been done, right? There's this thing. I work at a college called buoyancy and gravity. And you can't do it. You can't just walk on water. So this was no just like small step of faith. This was big and this was bold. And here's what makes it an even crazier step of faith to me. Peter asked Jesus to tell him to come walk on water. Now, I'm not sure what Peter's intentions are here, but uh, this is where I want Jesus to give me the like YouTube tutorial of water walking, right? Like, hey, Jesus, tell me how to come walk on water. Okay, Peter, first take one step, left foot. Okay, get your balance. All right, Peter. Right foot now, okay, up, squat, get those legs, wide stance, athletic. Okay, now, Peter, come on, one step at a time. That's what I would want out of Jesus in this moment. What does Jesus give him? Come. One word. Come. Because here's the thing, Jesus gives direction, but he doesn't always give the details. He gives direction, but he doesn't always give the details. I think the best things of my life have often been when I have stepped out in faith. My wife took a big step of faith down this aisle 16 and a half years ago. And she's, I hope, thankful for it to this day. But we often find that the best things in life are when we've stepped out in faith without any knowledge of what's going to happen. We don't know how it's all going to work out. We don't know how the Lord is going to use Whatever he may use in our life. The difficulty. Him calling us to a different place. Him calling us to engage with the poor and the oppressed. Him calling us to give more generously. This is why I'm so passionate about the next generation and why I work out of college. Because I get excited about the future generation of Christ followers. I get excited about this group over here. Because as the world gets darker and stormier, stepping out in faith becomes harder and more costly and more amazing. But first, you got to get out of the boat. What does stepping out of the boat look like for you? What does it look like for this church? Maybe stepping out of the boat for you this morning is making a first-time decision just to follow Jesus. Maybe stepping out of the boat this morning is making a commitment to the local church. Maybe it's serving in kids ministry is stepping out of the boat. Maybe it's just going across the street with some cookies to a neighbor you've lived by for many years but never met. Maybe it's stepping up to your giving to the point where it actually hurts a little bit. Maybe it is taking that new calling as a family. What does it mean for you to step out in faith and get out of the boat. Say, step out, and start. step out and start. One more point I want to share from you this morning with this passage. Lastly, see the Savior. See the Savior. In our text, it tells us that Peter steps out and he's walking towards Jesus on this epic journey. But then he sees the wind and starts to sink. I don't know if you know, but you actually can't see the wind. But what he sees is the effects of the wind. He sees the waves around him, and this causes fear, and he begins to sink. See, doubt began to change his route. Doubt began to change which direction he was headed. He stopped looking at the Savior and started looking at his circumstances. He was moving forward on this epic water surfing adventure. And then it all changed when he saw the wind because he took his eyes off the Savior. But we got to give Peter some credit here because I love what he does next. His first response is he cries out in desperation, Lord, save me. And before he could sink any further, Jesus pulls him right up and they climb into the boat together. We might be tempted to be critical of Peter, like, you're walking on water. What are you worried about? You're already out of the boat walking on water. But if you're like me, after those first couple steps of any epic adventure where I'm out of my comfort zone, doubt creeps in real quick. And often my response is not the same as Peter's. My response is to run to something else to be my savior. But i got to give Peter some credit here because his first response is to cry out in desperation, Lord, save me. May that be my first response when I'm in trouble. Whenever the journey he has me on becomes more difficult than I can bear. That my first response would be, Lord, save me. Because doubts are going to come. But when you see those waves hitting hard, When you start sinking, how will you respond? I want to be like Peter. Lord, save me. I'm drowning in depression. Lord, save me. I'm weighted down by the guilt of my sin. Lord, save me. This is too hard for me. This new awesome adventure isn't working out like I would like, Lord. Lord, save me. When you begin sinking, may that be your first shout. Lord, save me. Say, see the Savior. See the Savior. As we wrap up this morning, I want to ask, how are you being called to get out of the boat? It might be a big thing like Peter, but it might be a small thing. What is one way that you are called to get out of the boat? This morning? What's that one scary step toward Jesus that you need to take? Here's something I think we miss. Who was safer? The disciples or Peter? Who was safer? And I would propose to you that it was Peter who was the most safe. Because even when he was sinking, he was the one closest to Jesus. Get close to Jesus, and no matter what storms you run into in this life, he will be right there. Get close to Jesus through his word. Get close to Jesus through your fellowship with other believers. Get close to Jesus in prayer, and when those doubts come, when those difficulties come, when you cry out, Lord, save me, he will be right there. No matter what storms you were in, no matter how you were being called to step out in faith and do the impossible, the impossible for you, the safest place you can ever be is near the Savior. So, my encouragement for you this morning is to get out of the boat. Take that next small step of faith, whatever that means for you, toward the Savior. And we know through Scripture, time and time again, He will prove Himself true, that He will be right there, ready. Lord, thank you this morning for this opportunity to come to your word and to see once again how you call us to faith. Lord, in the midst of our difficult circumstances, you are a God of all wisdom. The storms we face in this life are nothing to you, God. You're bigger than they are. Lord, you're all wise, you're all powerful, and yet you're kind and loving and compassionate and caring to us. Lord, forgive us when we so often have fear in this life because of our circumstances. Forgive us when we're unwilling to take those steps of faith that you call us to. Forgive us when in the midst of taking those steps of faith that we doubt and we sink and we fail. And yet, despite all of that, Lord, we are thankful that you are quick to forgive, that you are quick to care, that you're quick to give us hope, that you're quick to love. And that, God, we can trust you in all things because you've proven yourself over and over again. And you proved yourself on that cross and walking out of that grave God, that you can defeat sin and death and there is no storm of this life that is too difficult for you. May we trust in that and may we be willing to take each small step of faith towards you, knowing that you care for us. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to worship here this morning. God, to know that it is well with our soul that you alone are worthy and that you alone can save us to worship together and to bring you honor and praise this morning. We love you and we ask this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.